0: was told indirectly that, uh, and I took it very seriously, if you have not made a new master in international health within a year, you have a problem. And I did it, so I was one uh, person and a quarter of a secretary. In
1: 1998, the University of Copenhagen got a new professor in international health, Professor Ib Christian Bygbjerg. Despite the modest size of his team, the first students were admitted to the newly established one-year Master in International Health the following year.
0: So at that time, every university should have their own Master in International Health, which was a postgraduate. Mm. And where should I get the students from? Because that was a payment um, education. And Danes are certainly not ready to pay for anything when it comes to education so I couldn't recruit any Danes unless it was part of their obligatory training in infectious diseases and I soon acknowledged that infectious disease doctors don't want to spend too much time on other things than infectious diseases Mm -hmm. so the majority of the students were from outside Denmark because they got uh, Danida grants from Ghana, from Vietnam, from Mozambique and so on. And I think I can say without over exaggerating that this was a huge success. And uh, Danita is still talking about it. Mm. But then of course we got a new government which was not interested in this. So it became more and more difficult to to recruit students. Uh, But we had a few students who paid for themselves, also Danish and they are now having head of department positions in the Danish National Board of Health, which is quite fun. The Master
1: of International Health stopped its intake of students in 2013, when a new two-year Master of Science in Global Health was launched. In that period, Professor Yip became increasingly interested in the double burden of disease, both in his research and teaching
0: you can't go on treating infectious diseases when people are dying from heart attacks or, mm-hmm. or, or stroke or diabetes. So early on I said, well, how are you going to combine this? And therefore I should say that combining chronic non-communicable diseases like diabetes and tuberculosis would be obvious for me, but it was certainly not obvious for the rest of the world But anyway, there, and there I could live out my double burden of disease. So I'm increasingly becoming interested in non communicable diseases mm. and how they interact with communicable diseases. Mm. So I avoid being schizophrenic and dividing myself all the time. So um, and now somehow the circle is uh, closed because now we are having a huge infectious disease disease uh, which is in particular hitting those with chronic non-communicable diseases diabetes heart diseases Mm. so maybe that's a signal from above that i should stop and say now that (laughs) you have come to an end
1: (laughs) despite the signals from above professor iep is still at the age of 75 engaged in several research projects and supervision of phd students
0: I've had some very bright students mm. uh, who are now having uh, big projects in Tanzania, which I'm still part of, where it has been successful by involving the local workers with their hands on to make guidelines which are usable. And that's what I've been fighting for my whole life. Don't make Teaching to theoretical don't make unnecessarily complicated guidelines because they're not going to be used. Make it simple, but also useful. And who knows the best what works? It's those with their hands on.
1: Professor Ib has seen the demedicalization of his field over the years, and today global health is a multidisciplinary area of research and practice. This is also why he chose to transfer his responsibilities as head of studies of the global health education and head of the university's global health section to two non-medical professionals, an anthropologist and a professor in environmental health. Professor Ip is no longer responsible for running courses, although he enjoys teaching various subjects to the first year global health students. I, I heard you say that you actually prefer the term international health over global health last time we spoke. Can you maybe uh, explain why? Why is that?
0: This is because my heart is still with the low and middle income countries. I prefer international health because it focuses on those who have the least and it implies that you are collaborating between nations, whereas global globalization it's much more about everybody big companies are the the world and 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 nations are getting less and less important and therefore they're becoming more and more selfish because they are not internationally working together mm. think of what has happened with USA withdrawing mm. from the world health organization mm. Uh, think about nationalistic parties and governments in Europe withdrawing from international or uh, regional agencies and so on and at the same time you have those who are really deciding what is going on in the world those are the multinational companies these are the google uh, all these people who are earning the money without paying tax and so on that's the worst kind of globalization i can think of and if there's no one to regulate them uh, the un system is united uh, united nations nations what is uniting google yeah, yeah. and uh, facebook and Gates, yeah. some of them are trying their best to, to pay back, mostly Gates, certainly. But it's also a bit difficult when someday it's Bill Gates who decides which vaccine shall be promoted in Africa, mm. because he has got the money. I must say, I'm scared of international or national agencies being under threat from bigger forces mm. and selfish governments. So uh, so that's why I like international health, but I know that it's old-fashioned.
1: While talking to Professor Ip, I became curious about the future. What trends did he predict for the coming years?
0: A whole new world order is mm coming up and where it will not be the usual uh, players and what that is going to <coughs> look like I really don't know. Mm-hmm. Look at our textbook, it's written by two of the leading Americans in global health plus Ann Mills from London School of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene. What will the global health textbook look like in 10 years or 20 years? Will it be Chinese Will mm-hmm. it be Indian? Will it be whatever will it be? Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't go on being so Eurocentric or America-centric as we have been. So it might be that there shall be a new world order. What global health would be like at that time, uh, I really don't know.
1: I want to briefly talk about that whole decolonizing global health student movement we are seeing uh, across countries and universities now. What do you think about this whole movement and the the criticism coming from the students that uh, we need to be more critical of of what we teach in class uh, and the literature, where it comes from, who has written it? Is it too wide, the curriculum and all these things?
0: Well, uh, if I had the same age of these students, I would probably also think, good gosh, what are all these old white writers thinking when they're preaching this or that and talking about their experiences from 20 years ago and so on and so forth. Having said that, I think also you have to be a little careful because if you are now uh, so far out that you are not, allowed to make a film, a documentary about Greenlanders if you're not a Greenlander yourself. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to talk about HIV AIDS if you're not AIDS-infected yourself. Uh, You're not allowed to talk about diseases in Ghana if you're not placed in Ghana. Um, Then your horizon will become extremely narrow. And I think I have my whole life tried to think horizontally rather than vertically. And I can tell you, it becomes very interesting when you get older. Uh, for some of us, you are maybe born horizontal, um, but I, even me, I could feel when I turned 50, something happens and I've talked to many others about it and they say, gosh, is it really so? Then it's fun to become older. I say yes, it's very fun, because you start thinking, really, connecting the left and the right side of your brain, and you get new ideas every day. Mm. And I can tell you, uh, that's why I'm also a little sad about stopping. But of course, you should stop on time. But uh, I'm afraid I get new ideas every morning, because I allow myself to think horizontally. To Professor Ip,
1: the world is not black and white. People are complex beings made up of many layers and divided thinking and narrow-mindedness can end up in misunderstood idealism. To him, it's about keeping an open mind and being able to talk openly about the complexity of, for example, decolonization. Is there something that you regret that that uh, is not happening within global the global health field?
0: The only disease we have wiped out is smallpox Mm. and uh, almost guinea worms but a disease which requires one shot of a live vaccine and maybe two but in most instances one Mm. uh, namely measles which should have been eradicated by year 2000 Mm -hmm. this is a scandal Why have we not wiped out polio either? Uh, And of course, where do we have um, polio? That's where we have unrest and so on. But where do we have measles? It's where the world's most well-educated people are residing. In Germany, amongst others, United States. There you have a point in saying global health should also take the rich countries more into consideration because if we are neglecting the rich countries and the misbeliefs and uh, all kind of promoters of any strange thinking of life you shall not eat this you shall not vaccinate with vaccine uh, or you, you shall not do this or that. And that has been neglected in the rich part of the world. And so, one of the reasons that we are still having measles is not because of, uh, uh, there's a civil war somewhere in Africa or in Afghanistan, it's also because we have not been taking the rich part of the world into account and say, without true international <coughs> uh, collaboration, uh, both from the north and the east and the south and the west, then we are not going to succeed in anything.
1: My interview with Professor Ip is coming to an end. To round off the conversation, I found a few testimonials from old colleagues. It's maybe a cliche to say about a, a, a doctor, I don't know, but... Medical laboratory technologist Grete Gomme from the Department of Clinical Microbiology says that your heart burns for the patients. I get the feeling with you that it's uh, very much the truth. And there is uh, Peter Skinhoy uh, from the Department of Clinical Medicine. He says that you have given just and worthy treatments to patients, uh, that you have a genuine interest in them and that you believe in them and their value as humans. So, you seem to have been engaged in the well being uh, of your patients, not only here in Denmark, but also in the countries you have worked abroad. Do you miss having patients?
0: I love having patients, yeah. And up till I turned almost 70, I had patients uh, a weekday at the Department of Infectious Diseases. Uh, And most of the time, I was trying to link all their health problems together connecting again horizontally because very often patients are lost if they're not only having a single health problem. Mm -hmm. So I had one patient with an inherited disorder where he sometimes got infections, that's why he was there. Mm -hmm. But this disease made him have three different hospitals with five different departments which he should regularly visit of course i spent a lot of time uh, where i could have seen 10 other patients but i think also i saved him and the system for a lot of unnecessary uh, waiting times and uh, extra scannings and i don't know much because i took my time to sit down and try to Hmm. think about more than the specific disease and i have uh, loads of letters from former patients who uh, somehow um, support this feeling.
1: Then we have uh, Anita Røm, who was your mentee uh, and as a young medical student. uh, And she says that you always defended and fought for the weak, the poor, the awkward, the marginalized, and the vulnerable. And who is she talking about here?
0: Yeah, that could be anything from an old lady with uh, what i call a non-glamour disease i mean if you are admitted with a bit so with a chronic ulcer of your leg because of varicose veins and things then you are not very interesting in most medical wards but we also had besides of having highly specialized malaria AIDS patients we also had at least at some time uh, general medical patients who often Uh, had multiple diseases and comorbidities and so on. And um, I think I was treating people with non-glamour diseases as well as with glamour diseases. Mm. So that's probably what she meant.
1: 50 years ago, a young doctor set out to save the world, or at least part of it. And judging from my conversation with him, Ypres Christian Bygbjerg, has not only been successful in his global health adventures, he has also been a true inspiration himself. He might not have saved the world, but he has left an enormous positive impact on individuals, national health systems and global health in general. Professor Ib is the founding father of the Global Health Discipline at the University of Copenhagen. And every Monday when he comes into the office with a smile on his face, me and the rest of our section continue to be inspired by him, his legacy and the foundation he built for Global Health. Because of him, we are all well prepared for the Global Health adventures that lie ahead. Thank you for listening.